This is Meet the Fam, a podcast series from The Way Church. Meet the Fam is created to be a place for you to find community by meeting the people who make up The Way Church. I'm Matt Rothy, pastor of The Way Church, and I'm joined by my co-host Heidi Zelt and our producer, John Blumhofer. Hello and welcome. For our very first episode of Meet the Fam, we have the privilege of talking to the Mike Myers. Mike, thanks for being here. Good to be here. A little introduction for you. So for people who don't know, Mike and his family are founding members of The Way Church, which launched 2017. Mike currently serves as a member of our church's board. He serves as a member of our finance team. He is the team lead for one of our Sunday morning setup teams. He often volunteers as an event coordinator for our events that we put on, and he's currently heading up our event coming this fall, our fall film festival. And on top of that, he leads a life group that meets weekly. And recently, Mike co-taught a Bible class with us in our worship service. So I'm telling you all of that because if you see Mike today, the way he serves, the way he's involved here, uh, and everything he does, you may think to yourself, oh, that makes sense. That is one of those guys who is just always church going, always uh, having his life just revolve around serving God. That's you, right, Mike? Uh, No, not exactly. Yes, and well, the reality is... (laughs) To a certain degree, it is, but it wasn't always that way. Was not it wasn't always, always that was way. Not so always that way. You got a unique faith journey, and I just want to know: Can you tell us a little bit about, like, from the beginning where it got started? Yeah. So uh, I was raised Catholic, uh, and it's kind of weird because uh, so the faith journey involves a lot of a lot of pieces. So I was adopted as a as an infant uh, at birth, adopted by a Catholic mom and a Jewish father. But by the time I was two, they were divorced, and my mom had custody of us. And so we were raised Catholic in that we went to church every Sunday, baptized in the Catholic faith. And when I was old enough, uh, my brother and I both were altar boys okay. at the Catholic church. And we went through all the communion, first communion, confirmation. confirmation. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called, C- what's it, CC, communion, confirmation, some education. Every Wednesday, I rode my bike from my school to the church, attended a, a class, and then drove my bike home. So that was not only like a huge part of your faith journey and just like life like that, but like just who you were. Yeah. It's just kind of what, what we did. It was just the, the norm. You know All right. So you were raised a Catholic altar boy, but you went to a Lutheran high school. Correct. So, and that's kind of weird. So my brother actually went to a Catholic high school. His fr- He was a year ahead of me and he went to a, a Catholic high school his freshman year. And it was and this by no means is disparage the Catholic faith, but there were some teachings going on at the school, I would say, and I don't know if it's more the faith or just the school he was going to, that my mom adamantly disagreed with. They, sure. they were really saying at that point, you know, as a teenage boy, it was time for him to start questioning his parents and, you know, you make your own decisions. You don't necessarily need your mom and dad's input anymore. You need to start. And my mom really was disturbed by some of these things. And, uh, and my mom was, she's a pretty right-wing conservative woman. And, you know, most of my brother's teachers were former nuns and they all went by Ms. And at, you know, so this is mid eighties, you know, that was like a very taboo term for my mom, Ms. You know, really? either a Mrs. or Miss, you know. Okay. But Ms. Huh. was this progressive, you know, woman's term my mom just did not like. And so about three months into the school year, my mom just, was that angst with some of the stuff that he was being taught. And she she literally pulled him out one day with no plan of where he was going to go next. Wow. And so my mom had a, uh, she was in this kind of like a book club and this circle of friends. And so happens three or four of them were members of Emmaus Lutheran Church in Phoenix. And they talked about this high school, Arizona Lutheran Academy. And so about a week later, my mom enrolled my brother and kind of basically told us we're becoming Lutheran. You know, I was, <laughs> what, 12? I think okay. 12 or 13, eighth grade. Yeah, right. And uh, and it was kind of funny because my mom did do some, we didn't do church shopping, like go physically to churches, but my mom read about different faiths and different stuff. And I still remember the term. She said, she, well, maybe we'll just be Cabalukians. We'll be Catholic, Baptist, Lutheran. You know, she she merged all just these things. <laughs> She liked what my brother was learning at Arizona Lutheran Academy. So the following year, she put me in there. And okay. we started going to Emmaus Lutheran Church. And uh, it's there that, so growing up Catholic, I was it was very corporate what I was being taught. 
It was very Sunday, you know, and then school on Wednesday, class on Wednesday, altar boy, and it was just very corporate. It wasn't personal. Okay. Your fa- your, you mean like but, your yeah, faith? Yeah, my faith yeah. wasn't personal. It was just what you did. Yeah. Did you recognize that as an eighth grade boy? Or No, I okay. did not. I did not. It wasn't until I, I, I went to Arizona Lutheran Academy, and we, we can call it ALA from here. Sure. That's what you know they call it, ALA. I started to learn and hear things that were much different than what I I thought. A good example is uh, Faith by Grace was a, a concept I've never heard. I'd honestly thought... I think I shared this with you. As a young Catholic, I thought the way to get to heaven is you just had to do more good than bad. And if the good ledger outweighed the bad ledger, you made it. Sure. Who knows if the good outweighed the bad, to be honest. You know what I'm saying? So to hear this concept of faith by grace that Jesus Christ died for my sins and not by anything I have done, I am now going to get to heaven. You know, as as the kids say, they mind blown. Yeah. You know, it, it really Amen. really kind of blew my mind, you know, that. And I started to learn that, you know, and it still wasn't, again, I'm 13, 14. It wasn't like I understand it now, but yeah, right. then like I do now. And but I can look back, back now and I, I can see that's where those faith seeds started to to grow. You know, I started from a foundation that I believed in a in a heaven and hell and a God yeah, right. because, you know, the Catholic Church does that. But those faith seeds of what Jesus Christ did for me, not what I was doing, that's where those faith seeds got planted and started to grow. Cool. But it took a long time for that tree to grow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so through high school, I was not, uh, you know, people think you go to this Lutheran high school. I was probably a rebel in my high school. Not that I, you know, was doing these bad, nasty things, but sitting in chapel on Wednesdays bothered me. I mean, I one teacher at one point said, if you're not going to behave, just don't come. So I didn't come. Because <laughs> oh I took it literal, you yeah. know, I took it literal. But then I got yelled at because I skipped chapel. Oh, uh, you told me that story yeah, I did. before. I did. That's a good, that's good. Like, like you know, note to self, don't make that threat to young boys and, or anybody <laughs> right, that right. take you up on that. But what's kind of weird, I, what I also could see at this school was a there's some 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 self-righteousness. There were some kids who were raised in this Lutheran religion. They went to the grade school and the high school who kind of looked down on me because I was this kind of rebel outsider. I wasn't in the in the know and yeah, you know, you're going as outsider. So I kind of saw this dichotomy, and I rebelled against that. You know, uh, I I kind of would be like, you know, teachers got mad at me because of my hair was kind of weird. I dressed weird. I was a skateboarder. Yeah, I was gonna say I was a skateboard. Most of the school was very sports area orientated, and and I could see that some of these, you know, some of the jocks in our school got this great treatment, even if they did what I consider bad things. Mm. You know, whole football team go out and get drunk the night before a game. Or after a game, I forget what it is. Nothing. Mike Myers rides a skateboard on a sidewalk. Detention. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I rebelled yeah. against that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But all the while, without me knowing, God's still working on my heart. You know, I'm attending class. All my teachers are of the faith, you know. Yeah, I'm attending religious class. And I, I wasn't stupid. I paid attention, you know. I have to say Old Testament history was a little... Boring. I mean, <laughs> I did sleep in that class quite a bit. But uh, <laughs> it was my, I believe my senior year, and it just so happened, so fast forward a few years, the pastor that married Robin and I, we'll, we'll get into who Robin is here shortly, was actually a substitute religion teacher. Okay. And he made religion relevant to a teenage boy. He connected with me, and he could, he allowed you to talk and ask weird questions if he didn't understand you know concepts he 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 had the patience and he was just just wonderful and i i really admired and respected this this pastor he he was great so he really helped shape me in high school so i'll say high school was a it was a probably a formidable you know the seed was planted there was a lot of fertilizer put there but I'd probably still say I probably hadn't sprouted, you know. I, yeah. it, it was it was all there. The fruits of it, the 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 thoughts were there. And then so I graduate, I start dating my now wife, right about that same end of my senior year graduation. Did Robin go to the same school? Robin went to the same high school. Robin would tell you 
you know, she was a, she had faith since a child. She was raised yeah. in Lutheran religion. She had faith as a child. So that was kind of that was kind of refreshing because Robin. It's not like we had to have discussions about differences in religion or anything. We mm-hmm. we kind of believe the same thing. We understood that and it came thing. But it's not like we had these philosophical, deep biblical talks or anything. You're high schoolers. You know, we're high schoolers. You know, we. Uh, but I went away to boot camp. Right away after graduation. Right away. Uh, so the summer after I graduated, I went to boot camp. I should back up. My senior year, my my mom had been remarried uh, when I was like about 10. She remarried. Mm-hmm. But my senior year, she went through another divorce. Mm-hmm. During that time of my life from, I don't know, probably 12 to like 14 or 15, my mom and dad struggled with alcohol. My mom and stepdad struggled with alcoholism. Mm-hmm. They both recovered I'd say recovering alcoholics. Uh, so there was that in my life, you know, and there was financial troubles and there's, you know, all the same troubles everybody has in life. You know, I, I, I had gone through that. Uh, but experiencing it as a teen. Yeah, as a teen. Mm-hmm. And and to be to be in a car once when both my parents were drinking and we were on vacation in Mexico and uh, we almost crashed and we literally, me and my brother got out of the car we knew where we were, so we got out of the car. We walked over the sand dune, and we walked back to our, our house that we had down in Mexico while our mom and dad, we didn't know if they were going to make it back because they were <sighs> fighting and arguing. You know, there were some scary times. Yeah, yeah that, how old were you at that time? Probably 14 or – I'd say 14, maybe 15, best of my recollection. And uh, so it was kind of scary. Absolutely. Now, what's funny is so my mom is – she's fighting the alcoholism. And she is growing in her faith. She's going to Emmaus Lutheran Church, and she connected really well with the pastor. Cool. She would leave every Sunday and say, Pastor, that sermon was written just for me, wasn't it? You know, she just, <laughs> she just connected very well. I think that growing in her faith helped her beat the alcoholism, mm-hmm. helped her beat her addiction. And so that was great, you know. And then it was really great. My mom and dad both came through that for other reasons. That they might, they mm-hmm. ended up getting a divorce. Uh, yeah, my dad was going one direction. My mom was going down this faith direction. They didn't meet, mm. and he he didn't want to join my mom on her her journey, and that affected me. In fact, the day I signed, I had my I joined the Marine Corps when I was seventeen. When did they get divorced? When I was seventeen. Yeah. And the day I signed parental consent to join the Marine Corps was the day my stepfather was leaving the house. So probably not a good move on me. Kind of insensitive to make my mom sign on the dotted line for me the same day her husband's leaving her. Mm. But, and she, I still remember this day she said, you're not doing this because of what's happening here at home. And it's kind of like, no, not at all. I mean, of seriously, course, though, of, that was a, seriously, that was a major, it was a major factor, push. Though. I did not, I, I, I kind of wanted to run away from that. You know, I wanted to get to that. I'd already been patriotic. I always kind of felt I'd join, but this, that to me was looking back at it was kind of a boost for me to get out of the house. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't want to stick around and, that was that. And then, so again, fast forward, I graduate, I go to boot camp and st- still remember going to boot camp, not certain of my relationship with my girlfriend. The night before I left for boot camp, she sat on a couch next to me in the hotel that we, where you stay in and didn't say a single word to me until we go to leave. And to, uh, you know, they say, hey, if you're, you know, in boot camp, you got to go back to your room. And she started bawling, crying, like uncontrollably. No girl has ever cried over Mike, Mike, <laughs> Mike Myers before, you know. And so that was like profound to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, she, she there's something like there. She might, yeah, she <laughs> might like. So I kind of went to boot camp with this, right? So I, I think while I was in boot camp, like I dropped the L word, like I love you, you know. what I'm saying, okay, in letters to her, nothing in return. But she, she was better at writing me than I was okay. her. But still, no. Uh, I was waiting for that I love you, you know. And she came to see me graduate, which was a surprise. You know, I wasn't expecting her to see you there. She flew out with my mom, and they came to see me graduate, and that was great. And I'll tell you, it was after that, me and Robin were, like, inseparable. Every time we were, I was home, it was me and her, me and her. And so for that next year, I came home twice before I deployed. Remember, folks, no email, no texting, <laughs> no cell phones. I either called her on the phone or wrote her a letter. Yeah. That's how we communicated. Dedication. Again, I'd say Robin, more dedicated than me, <laughs> while I was deployed for eight months, well, I only talked to her four times. Mm-hmm. You know, we were during the first Gulf War, and those conversations were probably 10 minutes long in eight months. However, Robin wrote me a letter. She put a letter in the mail 
every day for an eight-month deployment. You know, and it was about maybe six months into it when I'm like the guy on ship who's getting the most mail. And there are many married Marines on this ship and I'm getting a light bulb went off. You will never find another woman this dedicated who loves you this much, you know? So I wrote my mom home and said, hey, when I get home, I'm putting a ring on that girl's finger, <laughs> you know? And, and sure enough, I did. So I returned home. So at that time, we'd been dating two years and we returned home, proposed. How, how soon after you got home? So I was home at that. So I was home for 30 days that time because I'd okay. been gone so long. So I okay. took 30 days leave. So like day two, I just, and I didn't know at the time that my mom had let the cat out of the bag <laughs> and let her know I was going to propose because an ex-girlfriend came over to visit. My mom was relaying the story to Robin and said, yeah. So I told her, yeah, he has a girlfriend. When he gets home, he's probably going to propose to her. And she, my mom just kept telling the story. And Robin was and like, Robin's like, really? Robin just, Robin just kept it in the bag of her head. She's like, oh, my gosh, he just said. <laughs> so when I got home, like day two, we do something like we go play, you know, like putt-putt golf, you know. And uh, Robin makes some she thinks I'm going to propose on a putt-putt golf course, you know. Okay. She's like, oh, I'm just waiting for you to ask me a question. You know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, she knows, you know. I thought maybe I had like a tell about me, like I was, <laughs> you know. So then I was like, mm-hmm, now you're going to be surprised on when at least, you know what I'm saying? So I was probably home about 15 days. I made her wait like 10 or 15 days into it. And so I knew. That's brutal. So I proposed her on a little paddle boat and a little, a little park where they had water and you had a paddle boat and I proposed to her and yeah, it was great. Cool. It was as romantic as a Lance Corporal in the United States or a Corporal in the Marine Corps could, could possibly get, um, mm-hmm. you know, she said yes, obviously, and that was great. So I already knew that we had to have Robin on this podcast, but now I am certain. Oh yeah, now you got to hear this. We need to hear this. Story. And I, yes. I even told her. She said, "Don't get on there and talk all about." I said, "Honey, you're gonna." She goes, "I'm not gonna do it." I said, "You're gonna want to go on and correct the record." Yeah, <laughs> you know Perfect. what I mean? Because this is, you know, the world according to Mike. Yeah. And then we stayed engaged for a year, and it was supposed to be a two-year engagement. Mm-hmm. And we started thinking, why? She asked me one day, and so she was thinking about the future. She actually, she was. She was, she's like, well, what are you going to do? Because I thought I was going to get out of the Marine Corps because we didn't like that separation, and we thought that would continue after we got married. So I was going to get out of the Marine Corps at four years. And she said, do they not let you stay in? I'm like, would you want me to stay in? And she said, well, yeah, I'd like you to have a job. You know, she's, like, she's thinking about the job. You know, I'm like, uh, okay, I'll. I'll stand, you know, and so we got married a year earlier. And then again, that's another weird one. So I came home for 30 days to get married before on my way to Japan. I was going to spend my last year in the Marine Corps in Japan while she just stayed home with her mom and we were just going to get married. I was home like seven days. We got married. We had like a 22-day honeymoon. It was kind of cool. We, we went all over. We stayed in. It was just fun, you know. Yeah. But then I had to leave. And again, the plan was one year and I'll be back home or wherever the Marine Corps sends me, then she'll join me. I was on the island three days. I was on three days. I called her. I said, get with your dad. Figure out what it takes to get a visa and a passport. I figured out I can bring you here. There you go. You know, I had to pay for it all on my own. The Marine Corps wasn't going to pay for it because it was called an unaccompanied tour. I was only there for a year, so they weren't going to pay for her to come. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So I paid for her to come over. I rented an apartment out in town, and we lived in a small, probably like 200-square-foot apartment we were there for about seven months together. And that was like, yeah, you know, I worked, but that was like a seven-month honeymoon. We were on an island in the Pacific. Every day we were at the beach. You know, every weekend we'd oh, drive man. down the, the coastal highway. You know, we didn't have two, two nickels to make a dime, but we had each other and the beach. I mean, yeah. it, was, you know, it was really kind of cool. It's good time. Know? Great. It was awesome. You know, no worries. You know, just it was really this seven-month time and I had to deploy from there I had to go to Korea and I didn't want her there alone so she did come back home and but after my deployment came home and oddly enough once I got back from that deployment the longest I'd be separated for her in the next 20 years was seven weeks as a marine to not be only separated from his wife for seven mm-hmm. weeks is like unfathomable. That's a blessing. Yeah, it was a blessing it was a blessing so Robin and I so the first year in Okinawa no church. There isn't Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod churches in Okinawa. Uh, the closest we didn't we we had the closest chapel was like a I think they offered Catholic Mass and Protestant Mass. So we're like, yeah, it wasn't something we thought about or dwelt. We just didn't go. And then, but we came back. There is a 
local Lutheran church down in Yuma, Arizona, where we got stationed, and we started going to church there. And that was, you know, kind of an odd experience because we were two very young people, and Yuma, Arizona is a a very it's a retirement community for older people, and we were like as young as their great grandchildren. I mean, that's what one guy. Oh, I got great great grandchildren as young as you. I'm like great great. You know, two great. And uh, so that was. It wasn't. It wasn't. We went to church again. It wasn't the church you grew up in. No, it wasn't the church. Or went you grew to high school in. No, it wasn't none of that. And it was very. Again, it was like, well, we know we're supposed to go. Let's go on Sunday. And but it wasn't enriching. It wasn't personal. Mm-hmm. I'd say. Which was the huge, like, yeah. dynamic change when you went to ALA. Oh yeah, very different. Very different. And what didn't connect to the pastor, you know, stuff like that. We're in Yuma a couple of years. We go to Las Vegas for three years. We, we go to the, the Wells Church there. We're, we're kind of members of that church, but we're not, we're hit or miss. You know, two Sundays go, one Sunday miss, three Sundays go, one Sunday miss. You know, sometimes on Sunday, it was my, when I was on recruiting duty in Vegas, it was the only day I had off in the week. I only, mm-hmm. I worked six days a week at a minimum. Sometimes I would only get Sunday morning off and I'd have to work Sunday evening too. Yeah. So sometimes it was seven days a week. And I'll tell you, this was, one of the greatest strains on our relationship was, so we had, at this time, we had two children, Mikey and Tyler. Mikey was probably, he went from two to five on recruiting duty, and Tyler was born on recruiting duty. Mm-hmm. And Robin was basically in Las Vegas with no friends, and I'm working 16, 18-hour days, six to seven days a week. Mm-hmm. It was horrible for her. And my focus as a young Marine was Marine Corps, Marine Corps, Marine Corps, Marine Corps. You were very good at recruiting. I was very good at recruiting. Put 98 kids in the Marine Corps, yeah. uh, which is, for Marine Corps standards, is very good. But that came at the cost of a good quality relationship with my wife. Because even when we were out together, like on a Sunday, mm-hmm. if I saw a kid at Walmart, I would leave her with the two kids and go talk to a kid for 15 minutes in Walmart. Yeah, I was always like laser focused on the Marine Corps, not wow. so focused on my 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 family. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was really hard on Robin. But and I'll tell you, and I think I shared with you like this. I think now as a man who's, I, I think I'm more mature in my faith. I got a long way to go, but more mature in my faith. I can look back now and see the hand of God in my life because I wanted to stay on recruiting duty and make it a do a switch in my job. I was a cook in the Marine Corps. Recruiting duty is typically like a three-year job, and then you go back to doing your primary job. I wanted to convert to be a career recruiter, and I was denied that opportunity. And I was angry that I was denied that opportunity. Yeah, because you were kind of moving. Yeah, I was up, doing good. Doing and it, well I and did well. I, you know, I, I, you know, I liked the fact that I could, you know, affect change in you know, young young people's life, a positive change. You know, that was rewarding for me. You're a storyteller. You got a strong yeah. presence with presenting. I've heard your spiel. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah, I I I, I enjoyed it, <laughs> but I got denied that opportunity. So we we got orders back to you, in Arizona. I get to you, and then by this time, Robin's now pregnant with our third child, Kaylee. And the best thing happened to me. I get the best job anyone in the military could have. I'm a quality assurance inspector for uh, you know, a dining facility because we have civilian contractors that work there. So my job is to inspect their work and make sure they're in compliance with the contract. But that contract was a funny contract. It had ri- they had written into the contract that the evaluator could only be in the building present during an inspection, an hour prior to an inspection, an hour after an inspection to do the admin paperwork. But when... Not doing inspection, I was not allowed in the building. Well, the mess hall office was in the building, and then the food service office that the mess hall reported to was also in the building. So I talked to my master sergeant about it. I said, well, what's that mean? He says, you do 14 inspections a month, and the rest of the time you're off. How long does an inspection take? I'm just doing the math. An inspection, maybe an hour, two hours. (laughs) So so 14 times two, 28, maybe three hours, you know, a month, but an inspection could be so. There's four meals a day, so it's like 104 meals a month uh-huh. in a in a month. And I only had to inspect 14 of them. So it might be Monday I go in and do a two-hour inspection. And trust me, I got really good at getting that paperwork done real quick. And then I wouldn't go back till Thursday at midnight. And then maybe I'd do a Saturday morning, but then I wouldn't go until Tuesday at lunch. Quality time 
with my wife. Made up for the oh, we recruitment. Start, me and her years. would hang out and go to a rodeo on a Wednesday afternoon. You know, mm-hmm. Everybody else is at work and I'm at a rodeo in Yuma. Or we go to a BMX bike race with Mikey and Tyler at night. You know, just so much. We go on bike rides. We go on walks. And we, recon- <laughs> we, we reconnected. Yeah. You know, and now- the Lord said, "Okay, that's enough. You know, you, you can't you can't do too much of that. You know, non-working stuff." And that was about three or four months. Yeah, but it was three or four months right after recruit duty, and then we got to reconnect. You know, and that that helped. It. And then I got a regular kind of nine to five type job, and it was good. So now Kaylee's born. So Mikey's six, Tyler's four, Kaylee's born. We're good. About eighteen months later, I got orders to come to Virginia. And this is where, and Robin and Robin would share with you this too. This is where the walk with faith just ramps up. I mean, just takes off. We moved to the area, and of course, you look on the Wells directory. You look, you know, Wisconsin. Even what churches belong to our church body here? And we were living in Woodbridge, so we're obviously going to go to the church in Woodbridge, Trinity Lutheran Church. We get there, and there's no pastor. Church services being led by lay, you know uh, leaders of the church. That every Sunday they alternate, and it's kind of odd, but okay, it's working, right? But the connection we made with the people, and for me, it was a connection I made with. This is the first time in my adult life now. So by the time I got here, I was thirty. Mm-hmm. First time in my adult life, I am talking to and interacting with Christian men, adult, you know, grown up men who are unabashedly unashamed of being Christians, who will just talk about it every day. They, it's just, Being a Christian is part of their everyday life and who they were. So I just have to ask, you using the words you did purposefully, that they were unashamed, unabashedly talking about yeah. their faith, uh, there's a little bit of a commentary behind that maybe on what you had experienced? Well, yeah, because I would... So as a Marine, you run into Christians, but you have to uncover that. Sure. You have to dig that out. You, you, you get to know that, you know, three months after knowing them. Meeting these men at this church, it's like day one, Christianity is just interwoven into their lives. And it's about, the, and they, Rob and I felt welcomed like day one. Our kids connected with other kids of the church. The kind of thing that was kind of neat. It wasn't like the church service that really, you know, they were la- they were leaders of a church that were leading it, so it wasn't like they were these dynamic sermons. They weren't like Matt wrote these sermons. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. Stop. <laughs> but uh, just so you know, before we started recording, he told me how long I preached. So just, <laughs> just so we're clear. So, so and uh, I should stop doing that. So they were. I mean, they were sermons, but it was the connections outside of church with these same folks. Uh, I remember a couple times they had like a, someone had like a church, just a church party at the house. Mm-hmm. And one of the members uh, played the guitar, and he wasn't singing Christian. He was just singing country music. We were just all in there talking, hanging out. connecting, hanging out, and boy, that drew us in. And then I got to got into personal studies of the Word, studying with these men, Saturday morning Bible studies. One fellow in particular kind of, I look back at now, he was kind of mentoring me and, mm-hmm. and, and really nurtured my faith and uh, literally, he uh, he had suffered through a, a battle of cancer, and kind of shared that story and how his faith got him through that battle, and how that and then it, it just resonated with me. You know, these these men were just not afraid to be Christian. You know, I always I hate to say it, people say, "Oh, I don't want to be a Jesus freak," right? But why not? You know what I'm saying? You know, I don't want to come off as some weirdo, but again, I, I, I'm not ashamed today to to talk about or share my faith. Yeah, and just as someone who's uh, personable, uh, down to earth, like in having parties at their house yes. and not playing like it has to be, you know, <laughs> Christian music, just we're playing music, we're having fun, and uh, that made an impact. Right, and, I, and again, I used to think if I was in a church setting, I had to act churchy. You know what I'm saying? Whatever uh, that means, right? Well, and, yeah, I better not cuss, you know, I mean, you know, which you shouldn't do, but I, if I did, you know, are they going to judge me? You know, I used to kind of feel that way, but then I'm in this setting where I can be Mike and they accept me for who I am and I'm Mike and 
that's cool, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I was cool to see other people. I'm like, oh, this, this is a normal dude. But this dude is displaying such love, such compassion. And I'll share. And you had with, never experienced with that, right? And I'll so I'll share with you. Uh, this the church had a school, and our kids were going to the school, and and it was important to us at the time. And I'll tell you, it was a little financial stretch for us. And out of the blue, we get told one of our kids' tuition is paid for by another member of this church. Now I think I know who it is today, but they still won't cop to it. <laughs> <laughs> but another member is going to cover to it because because they knew if all of our kids couldn't go, obviously they would none of them would go. Yeah, you know? and they and and through the thing they kind of knew our you know because we had to go through the financials planning and stuff, and they kind of knew that we could afford two but not three. You know when Kaylee was coming up, but someone they just came to me and said, "Don't worry about the third. Someone's wow. I mean that's powerful. Yeah, you know, and they didn't want credit for it they didn't want to be acknowledged for it they just wanted they knew it was important for us to have a christian education for our kids and it was important for them to support us and that that's powerful like beyond words you know what i'm saying that that's not just saying christian love that's showing christian love and that that sets an example for you you know yeah so it, it's good and and the the church grew and our but our kids grew out of the school and went so we had to send the public school here and that's good and then uh, and I, I, Matt, Matt knows this about me. We've had deep conversations. Uh, we let life now get in the way of this church experience. When we first got there, we were in Woodbridge, but then we moved to Stafford. But we still, we were still going up to Woodbridge for church. But then it got a little easy to use that distance as an excuse not to go to church. Sure. Okay. So our kid, our kids got older. They have activities like every other person. You know, your kids are involved in stuff. Well, travel soccer is on Sunday. Even though one of us could take a kid to soccer, we both and the whole family went to soccer and skipped church. And then it was easy to say, I'm tired this Sunday. I don't want to drive. Skip church again. You know. And then it became literally one point, there was about a year we hadn't gone to church. And I'll tell you, it was a rough year. It just, just didn't feel right. Robin and I were... You know, probably more bickering, more fighting. There just seemed to more issues mm-hmm. in in life. And uh, and Robin, you know, uh, and to this day, what God put her in my life, she said, "Okay, well, if we're not gonna, if you're too stubborn to drive to Woodbridge, we're gonna go to a local church." Mm-hmm. So we did. We tried another local Lutheran church there, which is very corporate, very not. You didn't get that same friendly feeling. And we did that for about maybe six months to a year. I'd say six months. But then we kind of stopped going again. And one day, Robin just said, Mike, let's go back to Trinity and Woodbridge. And I don't know if I just completely agreed right away or if I hemmed and hawed, uh, but we went. We weren't shunned. We weren't like, where were you? That day we came back, open arms, people embracing us, hugging us, one lady crying that we're back, you know, (laughs) just so happy to see us, you know. It was it was an amazing feeling again that that Christian love was still at that church, and that they didn't hold any ill will against us for not showing up, didn't scold us. Uh, again, hand of God. Six months later, we'd be faced with a a serious family trial, and but for the members of that church, we wouldn't have got through it. Wow. So I I have to ask because you speak so powerfully, so passionately about what it meant to get into that kind of faith community and like faith family when you went to that church the first time. And as powerfully and passionately as you speak about like what that meant to you, like men, mentors in your life, friends in your life, your family, uh, how good that was, very easily you just go, life got in the way. What does that look like? That like just that so, so, and I don't ever like to be the person like, oh, I work so hard. It has, and I, but you do, you know, it, and everybody has that. And so it's about priorities. So one, I, the job I have, uh, I had up here in DC was, was time consuming. Uh, mm-hmm. The Marine Corps, you know, eight hour day, 10 hour day, 20 hour day. They don't care. You get the job done. It's the attitude. So I, I worked a lot of hours. I was going to night school mm-hmm. to try and work on my degree. The kids were, you know, both kids were in travel soccer. Kaylee was in like rec soccer. So, you know, it was come and go. Like, I'd say a 
most families these days, there's a lot of coming and going, and we did not we didn't make church a priority. And we and I'll tell you, I think today we suffered because of that. There's a way to do it all and still make church a priority. I because we can do it now. Mm-hmm. Now it's a little easier because our kids are grown, but we started doing this several years ago. And we went back to church, made it a priority, and there's a way to juggle. Yeah, you may miss church, but it doesn't mean the whole family has to miss church. You know, uh, if one kid's here and you can go to church, one parent takes the kids and goes to church, the other parent does for the other kid, and the next week it flip flops. Mm-hmm. You know, but you just have to prioritize what's important. And, and I tell you, it you don't realize it's. Sometimes it's that you don't realize what you don't have until you, until you don't have it. When we came back, it's kind of hard to, it was like a weight was like, like Robin, like we drove home from church that day after coming back and Robin was just, do you feel as good as I feel? I'm like, yes, that was wonderful, you know? And so. What was that? If you could put it into words. I guess love, you know what I'm saying? It just felt. So what I expected was to kind of be shamed or felt because I felt guilty. At least someone tell you, Mike, mm-hmm. where you, you shouldn't have yeah, not where, where you skipped been? out for two years. Where, yeah, where you been? You know, but no one said that. Nobody said that. You know, they were just like, "Welcome back. Good to see you. How you been? What's been going on in your life? Let's tell you what's been going on at the church. You know, since you left, this, that, and the third. You know, good things. You know, I'm like, wow, this is great. So then it's about that time. So about six months after we come back. We start hearing the whisperings that a potential mission church is going to start in Fredericksburg. Hold on, hold on. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't realize it was that soon. Oh yeah, you guys came back. Yeah, you didn't know this. Yeah, it was about well, I, my, I, I had my timeline was off. So but. about six months after the whisper, maybe maybe a year after sure. when we initially when we started. You by the time you got here, but it was quick. I remember them talking about it, like, wow, they're actually going to do a church in Fredericksburg. And at first, it was. We'll go to this church in Fredericksburg because it's closer. Mm-hmm. You know, save us yeah. on the commute, a little easier on us. Yeah, and just a little background. So the Whisperings are the church that Mike and your family was at, Trinity in Woodbridge. They are the Way Church's mother church. They gave birth to us. They yes. they are the reason that we're here today. Yeah, and so we had an initial meeting down here in Fredericksburg at, at a at a lunch member's house. And uh, Pastor Burkholz was there talking to us about this. He was both loving and like blunt at the same time. He's like, well, if you thought you were coming here just to save yourself a commute, he's kind of like, please don't come. He goes, this is going to require work and effort. It's going to require you to put in time, volunteer. You know, he laid it all out. Like this isn't just like meet at someone's house on Sunday and go home. Like You're going to have to work. And it's, Funny because Robin just kind of leaned over and whispered at me. She's like, "This is where we're going to go to church. We're gonna we're gonna both be involved in this." I'm like, "Okay." She wanted that connection again. She yeah. wanted to be involved, and and she knew that at the end of the day, I like being involved with stuff. So yeah. she said, "We're we're gonna stay." Yeah. Okay, we're staying. So that's huge, and that <laughs> I guess makes a lot of sense to me to tie it into what we talked about at the beginning. Why is the way it is, like the way you guys are involved, and that's powerful. But I do have to ask this. So you said hindsight's twenty twenty, and yeah. people usually don't recognize the value of like hard things that they go through till they're over. But what role did your time away from church play in making you really the man you are today, the Christian man you are today? Wow, that's a tough one, Matt. What it helped me with was that I can't do it alone. Apart from God, apart from Jesus, I am not equipped to be the best husband I can be, to be the best father I can be. That That is something that, you know, having that connection to, to Jesus, my faith, makes me a better husband, makes me want to be a better father. You know, and apart from that, I'm just a dad and a, and a spouse. You know, I'm not, mm. there's like having head knowledge of what you're supposed to do, and then there's the heart knowledge you know yeah i had head knowledge you know you know you take care of your wife you take care of your kid you know but then there's this true love and apart from that i mean and i it really was that when i tried to do it on my own or robin and i tried to do it on our own we didn't have the solutions we didn't have the answers and things weren't 
coming together. You know, it just was was tough. And I'll tell you today, I still don't have the answers, but Jesus has the answers. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not Mike Myers trying to figure something out. Je- Jesus has told me to love my wife like he loved the church. Jesus has told me to, you know, love my children. Jesus laid his life down for the church. That's the example. So that makes it, and I'm not perfect. I'm still not perfect. I still make a lot of mistakes with with that. One, I know I'm forgiven for those mistakes. I don't have to live in guilt, but I know that Jesus has always set the example and he he's given me the the ability to to love like I I, I couldn't before. I, I truly believe that. Yeah. I mean that's powerful. And I think a lot of people talk about having their like their whys or their their motivation or their purpose in life. Yeah. You said it well. It, it, and it's a great journey. I mean, I, I like I said, I go back. I I don't do much coincidence. I stuff happened for a reason. I went to ALA to meet my wife. I met my wife to stay in the faith. I I got stationed here, there, and a third because of this. I got brought here to Virginia to meet these men. I met these men so I could grow. You know, th- just everything. It's not happenstance. There's somebody all powerful guiding my life so there may have been something recently that looks a little bit like happenstance but uh (laughs) isn't quite like that so recently you met someone who plays a massive role in uh mike meyer's life story but up until a few months ago you didn't even know this person's name can you tell the story about meeting that person so at the beginning of this (laughs) podcast i mentioned i was adopted so uh you probably guess where this is going. So fast forward 47 years, uh, and again, through connections at this church, at the Way Church, I met two couples, both who who did uh, Ancestry.com, 23andMe, did the DNA testing, which I had been contemplating, but because I've always thought about who, who do I come from, who are my parents, stuff like that, but I never really was ready to pull the trigger. Well, both these couples encouraged me to do it because they'd done it. So I did. I did 23 and Me, and it was like a fourth cousin, so really no connection. So my wife hurries up and buys Ancestry.com, and I I hit to two ants on my mother's side. And now I'm ecstatic because ants is – that's the sister of – so yeah. I immediately message these two ladies. I'm like, hey, did Ancestry.com. Looks like you're my aunt. Would love to explore where this takes me, blah, blah, blah. And they – nobody messaged me back. <laughs> Nothing. But I had told a co-worker at work. And so she took the names and all that stuff. And she did a Facebook, classmates.com, alumni.com. She was all over the internet. And she came to me one day and said, Mike, I found you a maiden name. I know your your family's maiden name. I'm like, no, you don't. She said, yes, yes, I do. And it's Vandertoe, which is uh, Dutch. I'm like, okay. And I kind of sat on the name for a while. And then Robin you know, Robin's not the most patient woman. She's like, got it. She took Vandertoe. She runs it through white pages and she never will pay for like stuff, right? She paid like the $12.99 for the extra information <laughs> on white pages and we hit to two Vandertoes. One. Yeah, not a super common. Right, name. not a super common. Two women, you know, with the last name Vandertoe, but they both had the same last name. Kind of weird. You know what I'm saying? And one's like 80 something. We're like, well, that can't be my mom because my mom, what I did know through the adoption stuff is I knew my mom was 18 when she had me. So she'd be 65, you know? Okay. Just the way she'd be. So, uh, so we don't call that one. I call the other Vandertoe. Two numbers. There's a home number and a cell phone number listed. And this is bizarre. So I call both numbers, no answer. Probably a little early and they're, they're about an hour behind us. So it may have been four or five o'clock their time. So I call back two hours later. And a gentleman answers his phone. And he says, you have two seconds to tell me your name right now, right now. I'm like, uh, uh, he's like. Just looking out for the robo yeah. calls. Yeah, he said, <laughs> yeah. tell me your name, tell me your name. I said, uh, Mike Myers. He's like, oh, okay, I thought this was a robo call, right? I said, I said, not a robo call, but this will be the strangest call of your life. <laughs> you what? just, you, I, I just you, you led with I that? I led with that. This will be the strangest <laughs> call of your life. And so I said, oh. is your wife name? Yeah. I said, is your wife name Yvonne Vandertoad? He's like, yes. I said, does she have a sister named Elise Vander, uh, Elise Bolin? I think, sir. Yeah, that's my aunt's name. He's like, yes. I said, well, I think I may be related to your wife. And he was like, Yvonne, come get the phone. <laughs> Hand her the phone. 
she gets on the phone, and so I, I explain again, I, Ancestry.com, I hit to Elise and uh, so-and-so are, are my aunts. I don't know what that means to you. I said, but can I ask you a few questions? She said, yes. I said, does September 4th, 1971, you know, my birthday, does that mean anything to you? And she says, no. I said, did you go, did you, did your family go live in Simi Valley, California? I'm not comfortable answering these personal questions. I said, did you go to Royal Oak High School and graduate 1971? And she's like, again, I'm not comfortable answering these questions. And so I, I got this person on the defense now. So I'm thinking if this is my mom and this is the only chance I may have to talk to her, I have to let this person know my motives for all this. I said, well, I would ask you to please check with your sister to check Ancestry so you can verify my story. I said, but I need you to know that the reason I'm calling is that I want to find my mother so I can thank her for giving me the best life I could possibly have. And she said, oh, okay. And I said, now you can just message me through Ancestry if you want, or you can take my phone number. And she said, I'll take your number. And she took it, right? So I'm like, I'm like talking to the family after we got off the phone. We're like, I'm like, that might've been my mom. You know, I don't know, but she answered no to the negative, but she was real guarded. I'm like, I'm like, what if her husband didn't know? And I just dropped the bombshell. I'm like, I just stirred the pot. And I said, oh man, now she probably has to explain her, yeah. her youth to her husband. I'm like, oh man. Ah. So I thought this is going to happen. And so I go to work the next day and sure enough, my cell phone rings which it rarely rings in the Pentagon, you know, during the day. But it rings, and I look at it, and it's a Tennessee phone number. And the lady I talked to the night before lived in Tennessee, so I answered. I said, hello. And she says, hello, Michael. I said, yes. She goes, this is Yvonne. I said, hello, Yvonne. She's like, Michael, I am your mother. I started bawling. Right, I mean, right there. Tears. She's crying. I'm crying. I get up in my office. I close the blinds. I'm like, okay, <laughs> the team cannot see me in here crying. You know? I close the blinds, lock the door. So we start talking through that and back and forth. She's like, I've, I have waited. She goes, I knew sooner or later you would find me. I always thought she goes, but somehow I always thought it'd be, I'd be like 89 and on my deathbed, you know, and then you'd be by my side saying, I am your son. Yeah. And she's, I did not know it'd be this early. So we talked about that. I said, well, where do you want to go from here? And she's like, well, I'm still very uncomfortable. Yeah. This is so new to her. Yeah. I mean, this is where, so I said, well, Yvonne, this is what I want you to know. The tone and tempo of this relationship is now in your hands. If this phone call is enough for you, it's enough for me. I said the the fact that I got to tell you, thank you for giving me the best life I could possibly have is enough for me. I said, now I'll tell you, I want more but I want you to control the tone and tempo. So if you want to call, talk, don't want to call, talk, email, not email. I said, I want you to be in control of the pace of this relationship. And she said, thank you. She said, well, next week I'm flying to see your, my mom. I'd like to talk to her. Yeah. And can I call? And she said, can I call you? So a week goes by, you know, I'm excited. So honestly, I get off the phone. Who's the first person I want to talk to? My wife. She's busy. She's at, she's at her job. She's working, right? I called her like 20 times. She's not as funny. Finally, she has a call. I'm like, I spoke to my mom. Yeah. You know, I was so <laughs> excited, you know, because I didn't want to tell anyone yeah. until I told Robin, you know. And so, and then we told everyone, you know, she, she called our kids and told the world. And then, so then a week later, Yvonne, my mom, calls me from California and she says, Michael, I, I told, I told, and they call her Oma. She, my grandma said, uh, I told her that you found me. And her first words were, when do I get to meet him? Oh, it's heartbreaking, right? It's so hard. And so then I got to talk to my oma on the phone, you know, for, you know, not very long. She's old. So, you know, she didn't have much to say, but we, we talked to her a little bit. Fast forward. Oh gosh, it was about two, two and a half, three months later, we went down the, Robin and I went down to Tennessee and we met my mom, spent five days with her and her husband the most surreal experience in the world that I got out of the car, gave her a bouquet of roses and felt like I was hugging my mom. It didn't feel weird. It didn't feel strange. It felt completely natural. And she will tell you the same thing about that. And now, and now we talk on the regular once or twice a week. Uh, We're going to go down. We're going to see her in about a month. Okay. And then we're going to spend Thanksgiving with her. Wonderful. Yeah. It's great. So that, 
that whole story is incredibly powerful. But I think one of the things that impresses me the most, Mike, is the presence. You said the wisdom to just say very thoughtful, very impactful words to her when you had the chance. You had thought about those? No, it just kind of. <laughs> so what I so he's what just, I did, he's just that thoughtful. What he's I did well, that. what I didn't want to do was scare her off with. When can I come? You know, Jonathan yeah. Shores was funny because I told him like, and the next day he's like, Tennessee's only like 10 hours away. Mike, why aren't you there? You know, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he said, I'd be on the road already. And I said, I, you know, I really don't, I don't want to scare her off. I, cause he kind of was hesitant on that first phone call. So I was like, I have to leave an opening cause I want to continue this relationship. I needed to let her know she was in control, but I needed her to know that I wanted more. Yeah. And a, a couple phone calls after that, I hinted, I'd be like, you know, 10 hour drive ain't bad. I could be there. And she's like, I, I hear you, Michael. I hear you. You know, she wasn't really ready to push the button on that yet. You know, but then finally she, she said, do you think sometime in, you know, the end of August you, you get, and boom, there, there it was, you know, perfect. It's incredible. And again, God's hand. She'll tell you by, by the grace of God, she's alive today. Cause she lived a very rough youth, uh, uh, can I ask you to tell, yeah. you shared with me the birth story. And as long as you're talking about just God's <laughs> hand being at play, this just adds to it. So what, what Matt's talking about is, so when my mom got pregnant with me, obviously, you know, it's the 70s. It's taboo. You know, women didn't go around just getting pregnant before they were married a whole lot. And she was a very small, petite woman. So she was about 87 pounds and only gained eight pounds in her pregnancy. And she, she hid the entire pregnancy from her parents until she was in the bathroom at home in labor, screaming. And her mom comes in the bathroom and says, what's wrong? And she says, I'm having a baby. You. Me. And what's even crazier is my grandma says, okay, your father's going to bring the car around. We're going to get to the hospital. We can get through this. I'm thinking if I walk in on Kaylee, she's, she was giving birth, there'd be a whole lot more questions before let's go on, you know what I'm saying? But she had the, you know, and now she, my mom had already sought some, uh, so a free clinic. With, and so she, she already knew she was giving me up for adoption. And my grandmother tried to not talk her out of it, but told her that she would raise me and take care of me. And she knew that, but she but she also had the wherewithal to know that, yes, my grandma would raise me, but then, who would she be in my life? You know, this mm-hmm. other woman in and out of my life. She said that would just wouldn't be right. And when I told her, I did tell her one early conversation. I said, I need you to know that growing up, I needed for nothing. I said, I didn't have all my wants, but I needed for nothing. And she shared with me that had I, had she kept me, I would have needed for everything. Wow. Not just wanted, I would have needed it because they weren't well off. They didn't have very much money. So, and she knows her mom would have raised me, but she said, it would have, I would have been a very bur- an extreme burden on them. Wow, I mean, just to just to think of the way God blessed the birth, yeah, blessed your mother's pregnancy, yeah, blessed the uh, family that you were born into, like grandparents as well, yeah, giving wisdom and advice and her decision to do that, and obviously the uh, the family you grew up with. And it's kind of neat, and I, and so your concern, the the immediate concern when you go to meet your biological parent parents, is that you don't want to disrespect the parents that adopted you and raised you. And my mom, my mom that raised me, has she passed away about sixteen years ago now, but I know her. She shared my adoption story with me from my earliest age. She shared with me that I was a gift from God that she was unable to have children and this woman, for whatever reason, couldn't raise me or felt she couldn't raise me properly, gave her this gift. And that's how my mom always talked about this woman, having the courage and love to put me up for adoption. So that's why there's a big draw to finding your mom because my adopted mom made this person sound to be a very loving, courageous person. And she was. (laughs) So I, and, and it's weird because we may be digressing here a little bit, but you can go off of, you know, so who, what makes Michael Myers, right? You know, is it environment? Is it genetics? It's so strangely odd that a lot of the 
environmental things that I have, I have genetically also through my biological mom. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's just they they are very similar women. My mom, my both my moms, very similar in attitude, very similar in in kind of their their hobbies and likes and dislikes, their their kind of their political views. I mean, it's really I'm like, wow, that's kind of weird. Interesting. Yeah. Can you even begin and this is maybe a tough question to put you on the spot, but no. just assess the impact that your parents, your biological mother, your adoptive parents, your step parents, can you even assess the impact that they have had on you and your parenting today? Because you mentioned you have wow. three children. This is very interesting. So it's kind of kind of weird. So my I'll start with my adoptive dad. Closer relationship now than we had when I was growing up. There was a lot of, he, he wasn't always there. He missed visitations or he would disappear for a year and we wouldn't see him. My stepdad was, he was, he was a kind man, but not a overly loving man. And so, and I, I, I share this, I shared this with Robin. So before we got married, I said, well, I've had two dads at that point. My, my adopted dad, my stepdad. I said, and neither one of them are an example of, gave me great examples of how to be a good husband. I said, so this is what I promise you, Robin. I just won't do what they did. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I said, I, I'll just won't do what they did, and I, I think I'll, I think I can manage the rest. I just won't do those things. <sighs> Fast forward a few years, when we had kids, I said, uh, again, <laughs> didn't have the greatest father role models. I said, so. I just won't do what they did. You know, it was always kind of in the negative. I'm more mature now. I can look back. Uh, there are traits my adopted dad passed that, that are good and endearing and that I picked up. Uh, my stepdad, in hindsight 2020, after my mom and dad, after my mom and stepdad got divorced, he was a wonderful stepdad. He could have walked away from our lives, had nothing to do with us because we're legally set, severed. There was no tie to us, to him. But he was there shortly after the birth of each of my children. He was there. Uh, well, for two, because he, he passed away before Kayla was born. But he was there. And he he reached out. He called. He talked. Very loving and supporting after the which was kind of neat. So I take that. You know what I'm saying? I don't like to just take the negative from him. But I, I just knew, okay, one, I knew I, I, I could never be like an alcoholic. You know, mm-hmm. don't, don't ever create a lifestyle for myself that would – set up those conditions, you know what I'm saying? So I avoid, like I said, I avoided alcohol for a long time. He didn't have a problem with it, but, you know, I didn't judge other people. I just knew for myself, I thought, you know, my mom and dad were pretty young and they became, so I I avoided for a long time. Uh, My, as with the fathering, so I do remember my stepdad was very patient. He was an electrician by trade and every Sunday he would clean out his work van and he had drawers full of, Nittinoid electrical gadgets, you know, all these little stuff. And I would sit there and he would be sorting through his stuff and I could pull something out of the drawer and say, Dad, what's this? He would stop what he's doing and not only tell me what it was, he'd tell me what it did and how how it worked. You know, you don't know when you're a kid that you're learning these, to me, valuable life lessons, right? Taught me how to Wire an electrical circuit in a house. How to how to put a new circuit box, a circuit breaker, and an outlet. You know, little things like that that I just fascinated because I, I was just curious that way. So he just fed the curiosity and taught me stuff. You know, so all my science projects were electric based science, but you know, because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right an electrician for a father. So yeah, all my science projects in grade school were all based off. Yeah, that. but just like there's where you learn patience, and you obviously for- when you're at like maybe purposely, maybe just out of curiosity, asking dad what these things are, he's telling you and you're learning patience. Patience. And that's something that just carried with me. You know, with with my kids, I'm not always patient. I'm not a perfect father, you know, but I tried to be patient, tried to answer their questions. If they were curious, let them explore their curiosity, try to teach them what, if I was doing something, I tried to teach them what I know. Well, I, I read something recently where like, I think as fathers, and maybe it's just me as a pastor, but maybe father, this resonated with me because as a father, you think you're going to sit your child down, your son, your daughter, and you're going to have a talk about life. You're going to have a talk about patience. You're going to have a talk about hard work. You're going to have a talk about marriage, and they're just going to get it. 
They're just going to understand. <laughs> and maybe you get all the PowerPoint ready and they're just ready to go. But that's really not how life works. No. And that's not how parenting works. No. Like no. the lessons that are taught and made an impact are when you're cleaning your van out or when you're yeah. doing little things like this. And so it's like ad hoc parenting. You're like, yeah. just here, dropping gold nuggets, gold nuggets here. here yeah. there. And yep. uh, do it enough times. And I'll tell you, like, like with Kaylee. So Robin for the better part, was a stay-at-home mom, especially when all the kids were little. It was important to us. That was something. But that doesn't come without a burden on Robin. You know, yeah. being at home with kids all day is, is tough, you know. So the evening time for mine, you know, meaning bath time, especially Kaylee. So bath time with Kaylee, bedtime story with Kaylee, and the 30-minute routine it took to get that girl to go to bed every <laughs> night. It was a book. It was a song, and so I was saying, "Hush, little baby, don't say a word. Daddy's gonna buy you." I only knew like the one verse, <laughs> but I had to make up verses. So I would say, I would just make up verse, look at something on the wall, and pick something and rhyme it, and I would go twenty verses, and finally she impressive. And, and then she had these little like stuffed wolves because oh, she collected great. wolves. She had like 19 of them, maybe 23 <laughs> at the at the height, right? Mm-hmm. Every night, all 19 or 20 had to be accounted for before I could leave the room. And she just instinctively knew. I'd be like, okay, they're all here. And she'd be like, mm-mm, so And she had names for them already. Oh, So-and-so's missing. I'm like, no, he's missing. No, he's not over there. Dad, dad. I'm under the bed. I'm looking inside, under the mat. Here you go. Oh, she's like, okay, okay. You can go to bed now. I'm like, and that was like every night for years, years. But uh, patient. And Kaylee remembers that. <laughs> yeah, Kaylee remembers that. That's it. That's something. Yeah, it's special, real special. Can I tell you the story about the first time that you and I met? Yeah, you probably remember it more than I do. <laughs> well, it's Father's Day, 2016, oh, wow. and I'm out here. I remember it because I got the assignment to come here and start. Uh, a mission church and my wife and I came out here to look for housing and the only weekend we could come out was that weekend. Oh, that's right. And so I was kind of, um, you know, disappointed, couldn't be around my father on Father's Day and my wife couldn't be around hers because we did live very close to them. But we're out here and we're starting our new life. We're looking for where we're going to, you know, live. And uh, some people that were a part of the group that started this church were kind enough to host like a get together. That's right. And it's one of those days where there's, you meet a lot of people and it's, and it's hard to meet and remember everybody. And, uh, some people just want to get to know you and talk about stuff. Other people, they want to talk about church. They want to talk about (laughs) business. And so it's, it's a lot. It was a wonderful day, wonderful experience. But one of the very vivid memories I have is, I was talking to a lot of people. I kind of just wanted to go eat some cake that was served in the other room. And so I tried to like sneak out and you're waiting for me right in there. And you're there and you introduce me to Robin and you introduce yourself and you say, hey, Matt, I don't want to talk a whole lot like business, a whole lot of church, but I just want you to know uh, that we're excited to start a church with you and not just so we can have a closer drive. We're excited to start a church because we really want to be a part of something. We really want to be a part of a community that carries the love of Jesus to the community, that carries the love of Christ to people who don't know just how much Jesus loves them. I remember that and I go, wow, thanks. (laughs) Glad glad this guy's here. And I tell you what, that conversation, I remember it, and it's a moment I won't forget because, quite honestly, I think about that moment. I think that moment, your leadership, your attitude shared by Robin, yourself, and so many others right, that right, helped to start yeah. this church as well um, have really shaped this church, have really shaped uh, this community to this day. And that was uh, going on just over three years ago, yeah, right? it's crazy. And now it's a part of our mission. We want to be a place for you and not just us. Right, we want to be right. a place for you, a place for you to find rest from what you're dealing with, to find wisdom that only Christ can give, deal with life, and to find purpose and to find his love. And I tell you what, Mike, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that yeah. you're a part of that. I'm so glad that uh, you said that to me the very first yeah, time well, we met because I haven't I haven't forgot that. So it just, it's, I mean, it's one thing to 
be a Christian is another thing I think to live the Christian life. And, and I'll tell you, you've been instrumental in my growth just in the three years that we've known each other. Uh, how many times I come to you and say, Matt, I get it now. And you're yeah. like, Mike, you've always got it. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I, but I, it's easy. I don't know if it's easy, but it's, it's good that we're a church that can look at the state of church in America, not just our church, but church in America and see, and we can critique it and see why people aren't coming to church anymore. You know, cause there are ills that the church has committed on just people. Certainly. And I think I always want to try to be a member of the church, this church that remembers that, that this isn't a church about judging people and judging people's, you know, their choices, their past, their lifestyle. This is a church that wants to, and I hope it's a church and I hope we continue to foster that, that reaches out to people that don't know that Jesus is their savior. And that that's powerful, you know, it, it really is. And it's, and it's altogether also scary when I think about someone who's unchurched, de-churched, doesn't know that, 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 that's, it's almost sad. And it's, and I shared that in a life group the other night. I said, uh, the purpose of what we're doing as a church is to get someone who doesn't know Christ, who's on this lifeline and doesn't know Christ. We want to get them on this side to knowing Christ. And that's what changes hearts, what changes lives, what changes attitudes. It changes, changes everything. You You've know? been there. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I, I guess my message, if I, if, I, if I had to have a message, would be life is complicated. You know, life is tough. It has ups and downs. And without being rooted in, in Christ and, and a, a faith, you can get lost. You can feel guilty for the things you've done or didn't do, the you know, stuff you've done in the past. You carry that, am I, am I good enough? Am I not good enough? You know, Jesus has told us we're good enough. In his, in, in his eyes, we're good. He has done it all. And people need to hear that. You know, and it's not Mike Myers that's going to change someone's heart. It's the word of God that's going to do that changing. I don't have that power. But I do not have certain talents. I, like I said, I love to tell stories. And if I can sit you down and tell a story and get you to get, get you to hear the story of Jesus, that's great. You know, that that's makes a difference. It, it makes a huge difference. Well, Mike, I tell you what your story that you shared with us here and really the way uh, the story, the story about Christ <laughs> intersects with that. It's made a difference for me just getting to hear it all at <laughs> once. Funny. I've heard I've heard this story. I've heard bits and pieces yeah, of it. That's all I've had a, I've had a, I've had a little bit of my timeline mixed up, but I tell you what, it has been powerful. It has been impactful for me and I know it will be for others as well. Thank you oh, for no, being here. Thank I you for sharing it. it.